The following is a re-recording of Father Brendan's homily for the first Sunday of Lent. We receive a surprising number of requests from people asking for prayers for deceased family and friends, for their children, good health, and other needs. Then there is another category, one that I would call disturbing. Someone writes and asks us to pray for them because there is a third personality trying to take over their mind. And you find yourself wondering which of the other two personalities has written the letter. Once a woman in Italy asked us to pray for her young daughter, whose psychological difficulties had blossomed into a fully authenticated case of satanic possession, complete with the textbook symptoms you can read about in Malachi Martin's Hostage to the Devil. Please pray, she wrote, that I will get my daughter back. It sent a chill up my spine. In my life as a priest, I have had two close encounters with the diabolic. I do not care to repeat the experience. A month or so after that email, I saw an article in the paper by Michael Wilmington, who was the Tribune's movie critic. I noted it in a journal I keep. It was about the latest Anthony Hopkins movie, headlined, Hannibal Lecter Makes Us Believe Once Again That There Is Such a Thing as Unrestrained Evil. It may take a case of diabolic possession or a Hollywood horror film to make us believe in unrestrained evil once again. But should it? The 20th century has produced enough evil and human suffering to earn what Pope John Paul II of blessed memory called the century of tears. But unrestrained evil has many faces, and not all of them are dramatic ones. In 1961, the philosopher Hannah Arendt looked into the face of evil in an Israeli courtroom and discovered, in her words, that it really is quite ordinary and commonplace, neither demonic nor monstrous. Arendt had been hired by the New Yorker magazine to cover the trial of Adolf Eichmann for crimes against humanity. Eichmann had been discovered hiding in Argentina in 1960 and brought back to Tel Aviv to face trial for his role in the death of millions in the Holocaust. It was a media event that even I can remember, and I was only ten at the time. As she sat in that courtroom day after day, looking at the little man in the bulletproof glass, Hannah Arendt said that she detected in Eichmann nothing dramatic, nothing pathological, nothing stupid or even sinister, but for all of that, something entirely negative. It was, she said, a kind of inability to think morally and critically without the use of clichés and stock phrases. For Eichmann, organizing shipping of food or bodies was all the same. Eichmann ran the Gestapo's Office of Jewish Affairs. Sitting at his desk day after day, he quietly managed the deportation of Jews, of gypsies and others, on their way to the death camps. His job was to make sure the trains ran on time. This is what Arendt called the banality of evil. No horns or pitchfork, no devil costume. This was unrestrained evil, dressed in the coat and tie, the uniform of a bureaucrat. The phrase banality of evil became famous almost the instant she wrote it. Now it's just another cliché, a weapon in a politician's vocabulary. But the reality behind that phrase is still very much alive. It is the ordinary face of evil that we typically encounter and perhaps participate in ourselves without even being aware of its existence. 
In the account of Christ's temptation in the desert, Matthew gives a clue to the subtlety of evil, its banality. It comes in the form of the Greek verb perazo that Matthew uses to describe the devil's strategy. It means to trap someone or something. But there is another meaning that Matthew may have in mind in this passage. Perazon also means to test. This conveys the idea of determined and systematic hostility. What a hostile entity does, testing an enemy's defensive perimeter, probing it for weakness with a suggestion here, a hint there, and the tickle of desire, the gravitational pull of irresistible desire. St. Matthew is suggesting that Christ's encounter with evil is like our own. The bait is always the same, power, pleasure, and possessions. Nothing could be more banal, more ordinary, more boring in its predictability. But the difference is that Jesus resists the tempter's suggestion, whereas we do not. The liturgy uses this as a lesson to explain why we need a season like Lent and why we need a Savior like Christ. Ultimately, the idea that the devil's temptations are ordinary comes from Jesus himself. At one time or another, and in his own way, he manages to answer every one of the devil's suggestions. He doesn't change stones into bread to feed himself, but he multiplies the loaves and fishes and feeds 5,000. He doesn't throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple. He ascends the cross, dies, and rises on Easter. And rather than rule the world like Caesar, he saves it. After the trial and execution of Eichmann, Hannah Arendt wrote that the greatest evildoers are those who don't remember because they have never given the matter a thought. There are 40 days left of Lent. Time to start thinking.